0: In this morning's program, as a way of remembering Bantu Stephen Beaker, who was murdered this week in 1977, we reflect on the black consciousness movement that he was a pioneer in developing here in South Africa and also its continued relevance in 2018. That's our topic of uh, discussion with you as well. So uh, think about that one. Also coming up in the program, a uh, sad day yesterday in Durban when Miguel Lowe, the young boy who went missing in July and whose remains were discovered this month, ...was laid to rest yesterday. Also, of course, the other regulars like taking a look at what's in the Sunday papers today... ...and also reflecting on the week that was with our editors... ...and looking forward to the week ahead. Six minutes past six, Sunday morning, and Stephen Kirker filling in on the program this morning. And, of course, it is SAFM Weekend View. And uh, the conversation we're having with you today... Uh, specifically this question, i um, asking you if black consciousness is what is missing in our politics today. The reason we're asking you this is that we're remembering uh, Bantu Stephen Biko, who, of course, was uh, one of the pioneers of the black consciousness movement in South Africa, uh, something which was inspired, actually. ...by uh, thoughts, the best thought which was taking place in America at the time... ...and uh, sort of led by people like the American teacher um, W.B.E.B. Dubois... ...who spoke and had recognized a double consciousness on the part of the American people. Of course, in America, there was a very divided uh, population between uh, the African-Americans... ...and uh, the white Americans, and in fact... A large part of that remains today. I was watching an insert yesterday, which spoke to the fact that while society is ostensibly combined and integrated, there are these undercurrents which remain in 2018. This is America, which went through a transition long before we did. But there are these undercurrents of differences between, you know, so-called the the races in the country. So we're talking about whether it's something that's missing in our politics today. We'll be getting some analysis of uh, this. But it's interesting to hear the thoughts of one of the original black consciousness uh, movement leaders in South Africa.
1: I want to draw your attention to the fact that we are far from achieving one
0: of the fundamental goals of Steve Biko, one Azania, one nation. That's uh, Pandelani nefolo Vodwe, who is one of the original Black Consciousness uh, Movement leaders in South Africa. He says we're a long way away from that. Interesting time if one looks back to how uh, Black Consciousness was developed here in the country, and it's something we will be reflecting on Uh, with our first guest this morning. Um, But before we get there, we just want you to consider that. Uh, and get in touch with us here on SAFM, The Weekend View, and uh, talk to us about, uh, you know, black consciousness and if that's something which is missing in our politics today and something we need to get back from. The SMS is 40938. Uh, You can please begin your SMS with the word weekend. You can call us 891 What's up, voice notes? 0826923909. And... uh, you can get in touch with us. Also, do like us on Facebook, The Weekend View, and uh, also get in touch with us on Twitter. So, looking at that, the Black Consciousness Movement and uh, where we stand in 2018, and do we need to perhaps revisit some of those uh, sort of founding clauses and uh, goals of the Black Consciousness Movement?
2: Hashtag SAFM Weekend View.
0: Now, the University of KwaZulu-Natal, uh, together with UMTAPO Board, held an annual Steve Beaker Memorial Lecture at the Westville Campus under the theme, South Africa, the Unfinished Revolution. The lecture attracted people from all walks of life, The life and times of anti-apartheid activist Bantu Stephen Biko and his quest for humanity were remembered. Biko was at the forefront of a grassroots anti-apartheid organization known as the Black Consciousness Movement during the late 1960s and 1970s. Hafsam Kizer compiled this report.
3: Steve Biko is still regarded the father of black consciousness years after he was brutally killed at the hands of apartheid police. Biko died alone in a cell on 12 September 1977 after he was savagely beaten, standing by what Biko believed one of the keynote speakers at the lecture, Pandelani Nifolovodwe, reflected on the freedom of the country 24 years into a new dispensation and how the country remains divided, especially black South Africans on Freedom Day.
1: As far, these celebrations are held by different political parties, at different venues indicating that we are still a divided nation. the same day, other parties, including parties, outside parliament, hold their own separate celebrations. I mentioned this from the onset because I want to draw your attention to the fact that we are far from achieving one of the fundamental goals of Steve Biko one Azania, one nation. Because you can't have one Azania, one nation when you separate the celebration, the Azapu has got its own, and so-and-so has got its own. What kind of countries?
3: While the youth have been encouraged to be at the forefront of change, many young people still raise questions about the apartheid system of oppression. Others are more concerned about the implementation of land expropriation without compensation.
1: It is
2: the struggle for freedom upon us still right now, or because of their detour, The freedom that was fought for is in vain, and the blood that was shed through that fight of their freedom has fallen for nothing. The second question is, how important it is for us as now,
1: as the new generation, to change the system that you said, mister, that we inherited. And my sister there said, it's a burning house that we still living in a building house. How is it important for us to change the system of this building house because of the inheritance that we have? There is a, a current and ongoing debate on land. But it seems like it's a bastardized kind of debate <laughs> uh, spoken uh, in harsh tones by many people with different interpretations. Are we talking about the right question right now. Expropriation of land without compensation. From my orientation from the consciousness movement, I don't think it's the right issue. I want to find out from you because in my view it should be clear and straightforward. Reposition. In nineteen
3: ninety seven, Mandela said that Biko belongs to us all and not just Azapo. The young generation of today has been encouraged to go back and learn from Biko's legacy and help keep it alive by tackling the very constitution that is said to have failed to advance the lives of black people. I'm Hafsam Kize in
0: Durban. Sure reflection on uh, Bantu Stephen Biko and, of course, the Black Consciousness Movement. We're going to speak about this uh, in some greater detail and also, of course, try and unpack um, what role Black Consciousness and uh, the movement has in 2018 and to speak about uh, it as a philosophy and uh, other relevance. Uh, We're joined by the Professor of Public Affairs at Swan University of Technology, Mashupie Maseromule. I beg your pardon. Uh, good morning to you. Thank you for your time. I mean, there is something dreadfully ironic, of course, about me speaking to you about this, because a, a lot of what, you know, uh, uh, Monty Stephen Biko did in many ways stand for was talking about the power that, uh, you know, black people needed to find within themselves, which had essentially been chipped away not only by the you know, the legislation, but also by the psychological impact this had all had on on black people. I mean, those scars still remain in 2018, don't they?
2: Yes, they are. They are. And uh, thank you very much for hosting me, Stephen. They are. And um, I think also it's it's critically important because if you go back and try to look at... um, What uh, uh, Steve uh, said, um, Steve Biko said, uh, what uh, Black Consciousness philosophy uh, is saying, uh, it's something that we could still draw some some lessons from because um, we might have actually settled the political question in 1994, but that does not necessarily mean that psychologically we are free you know, because there are so many things that still continue uh, to negate uh, what, what we had hoped for. Um, like, for example, also remember to a very great extent, particularly most people, likely we think that freedom is largely more about negating one's blackness by becoming more white. You know, in mm. other ways, the aspiration is whiteness. And that much is manifested in many ways. Like, for example, now, if you go to our townships, if you go to our rural areas, the kids of the middle class, largely, are not, are not in those schools. They have been transported in the morning to go to historically white Schools. The question that we need to ask ourselves is what is that which is so wrong that we are doing in our black schools that we cannot actually allow our children to, to go and attend at those schools? And it's even more surprising that. Uh, often you will find that it is in fact because when you talk about um, the elite within black society, you talk about teachers mainly and many other professions. Teachers do not want, black teachers do not want their children to come and study at the school where they are actually teaching. The question is, what is that that we are doing which we don't really want our kids to be part of? You know, So all those things are some of the... Uh, characteristics that we are now seeing post 1994, which in many ways seems to suggest that largely black people are actually negating their blackness, and their aspiration is whiteness, and that is why they are behaving the way they are.
0: One of the things, I mean, we have to point this out, unfortunately, of course, is and you mentioned these examples, which I think we all do know exist. But sadly, a lot of the reasons that people are acting in that way is because the very structures which were put in place in apartheid still remain, right?
2: They still remain because, like as I said before, that uh, political settlement of 1994 did not necessarily mean that certain apartheid practices ended. In much the same way that when people talk about, like, for example, at our university, now people talk about decoloniality because that decoloniality does not mean that when Africa gained independence, that necessarily resulted in the end of coloniality. Because coloniality is more about the continued colonial practices in how we conduct ourselves in how we do our things. That is why now people are talking about decoloniality. In other ways, the significance of even going to an extent of trying to interrogate our behavioral practices, which is more uh, geared towards Eurocentricism, despite the fact that at some point we have reached a conclusion that this is the end of colonialism, this is the start of independence or the start of freedom, you know. So that does not necessarily mean the end of all those practices. But also what is critically important and which is what I think that Steve is challenging us. Because if you look at black consciousness philosophy, Steve also emphasized the significance of 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 self reliance. He also made mention of something which is critically important. He said that Um, But but some people are saying that it was not uh, actually Steve, but uh, they ascribe this formulation to Pijana. when they say that black men, you are on your own. In other ways, I I understand it as being saying that take charge of your future. In other ways, go back to your communities. Make sure that the school becomes models of excellence in your communities. One thing, Steve, which also I often use to challenge most of uh, our elders that have been in the liberation struggle who came back, is that uh, since you came back, you don't really seem to have identified a, 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 a black university and turned it into a model of excellence. Because if you look at the extent to which things are going in South Africa, you'll find that we've been talking about transformation. Particularly, I'll give you an example of transformation of, of higher education. But when you do the analysis now, it appears as if that transformation, uh, uh, historically, black universities do not really seem to be benefiting so much from that transformation because they are as the same as they were before, in fact they seem to be uh, degenerating and it's quite ironic because these historical black universities have been in the forefront of the striking against apartheid. you know so it's a question of saying that let us take charge let us make sure that we we are responsible for our own development that is something that i that i'm also getting from black consciousness just uh,
0: yeah, I mean, it, unfortunately, we really have run out of time. But I think I want to just ask you to end on this point because, and I think it's important to remember, the Black Consciousness Movement was a movement. It crossed, uh, you know, it, it, the separation between Azapo and the Black Consciousness Movement. The Black Consciousness Movement was a movement which crossed, you know, political party divides, but was really crucial in driving a growing sense of belief that people did have the power to change things. And we saw that with the way the youth stood up in 1976. Do our political leaders need to adopt that framework that was defined by the black consciousness movement to help us move to the next level you know, in terms of getting the psychological strength that black people need?
2: I think I think I think they need that. I think they need that. There is there is currently there is just so much um, 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 political formations, um, which which largely, if you analyse um, um, their ideological foundation, if you analyse it deeper, they are largely talking the same thing. You know. So I think it is critically important that they should try to see how they can institutionalise some kind of solidarity, a union among themselves, because at the end of the day, I think all what we want to achieve is the same thing. So now what is the point of being so divided? Indeed, I think Steve Pickle's black consciousness philosophy provided a framework, a, 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 the framework of unity, you know, because indeed it was a synthesis of all uh, political efforts, all uh, 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 political uh, activism that sought to try and confront the apartheid system. So, indeed, I fully agree with you that perhaps it is important that our political formations in South Africa should start to realize that we are now confronted with this challenge. It's a challenge of, of, of poverty, the challenge of unemployment, the challenge of inequality. How can we uh, try to work together to make sure that we change uh, the status quo because much of what we are seeing now is contestation, which is, in most instances, is just uh, contestation or just opposition for the, for the sake of opposition. And in the case of the governing party, in many instances, they, there is just a lot of corruption, and also within the political parties themselves, there are oppositions. We're going
0: to have them. to leave it there. I'm uh, very sorry. Unfortunately, we ran out of time. That's, uh, but uh, wonderful uh, thoughts, uh, Mashupia Maseromule, speaking to us about uh, the legacy of Bantu, Stephen Biko, and black consciousness. The National Assembly has risen this week to embark on a constituency period until next month. The National Council of Provinces is still in session and will be visiting provinces starting with the Gauteng province. The past week has seen a number of important debates being deliberated and both President Sir Ramaphosa and his deputy, David Mabuza, took oral questions in the houses. Abongwe Khana reports.
4: President Cyril Ramaphosa told the National Council of Provinces that government has no reason for fear that sanctions may be imposed against South Africa because of the land expropriation without compensation. Ramaphosa said government is prepared to deal with the consequences should it happen that sanctions are imposed.
1: We have no reason to believe that any country would impose sanctions on South Africa for any actions that we take actions that are constitutional that are lawful and consistent with international law i discussed the issue of land reform with the uk prime minister teresa may during her working visit to south africa on the 28th of august she welcomed the way in which we are approaching the land issue and understood that land reform could in the end unlock investment opportunities as long as it remained legal and transparent and was the product of a democratic process.
4: The majority of the opposition parties in the National Assembly have opposed the passing of a resolution to pay pension and medical aid benefits to former President Jacob Zuma. The recommendations of the Independent Commission for the Remuneration of Office Bearers were, however, passed with 97 members in agreement, while 95 were opposed. It also provides for his widow or widows to receive pension e- equally to half of his annual salary upon his death. and Chief Jackson introduced the motion.
1: Resolves that a in terms of section 25A of the Remuneration of Public Office Bearers Act number 20 of 1998 upon the president's retirement from office with the from the day following the day that he vacated office, a taxable pension benefit be paid to him equal to 100% of the total annual remuneration salary and allowance payable to him the day prior to his retirement. They denounced Zuma and recounted why he was bad for the
4: country. DA Chief Johnston, Hazen, EFF Sam Matthias and Conor Mulder of the Freedom Front Plus. This is a constitutional delinquent who has compromised not only this parliament but compromised the office of the presidency and compromised the constitution of the republic. The House also debated other important urgent matters of public interest including the recession. TA leader Musuma Imane brought a motion to debate what is called a technical recession. Maimane is of the view that until policy changes are made the country will continue to experience poor economic growth. I want to propose, honourable members, if we're going to get through this recession, we need to swap the outdated policies of the ANC and take on 21st century, future-focused ideas that will be brought forward by the DEA. This is where we've got to go.
0: That's uh, Musi Maimane, the leader of the Democratic Alliance, ending that report by Abongwe Kobokane. It is now 29 minutes to 7. Stephen Kirker in for Elvis Preslin here on uh, SAFM Weekend View. Let's go back to Jualani Tulo for the news headlines.
3: Thank you, Stephen. Making headlines, KwaZulu Natal police are still searching for a four year old girl and hijackers who abducted her inside her father's vehicle in Pinetown, west of Durban, yesterday. Still in KwaZulu Natal, an IFP district leader has been killed. At this stage, it is believed that he was killed in an ambush between Escott and Ladysmith after a party meeting. And finally, a man in his 20s has been killed by a shark while surfing off the coast of the U.S. state of Massachusetts. I'll have details at 7
2: Hashtag #safm weekend view
0: and let's look at the, the sunday newspapers yeah there's a fair amount of reading matter for a sunday as of course you'd expect let's first of all look at city press and yeah this follows on from the revelations which came out last week which talked to, you know, the supposed plot to get rid of uh, Sir Ramaphosa as president. And specifically, the headline in city press is Mabuza is a target. And uh, the sub uh, headline is, After feeling betrayed at Nazareth, Ramaphosa's bitter opponents are aiming to oust his deputy after the 2019 national elections, and then Ramaphosa at the NGC. Of course, it was Mabuza who played a very canny game in uh, the electoral uh, conference the ANC held and suddenly uh, turned up in support of Sir Ramaphosa and found himself in a position of serious power. And, of course, with the way succession works in the ANC, then the next position will be president of the ANC for Didi Mabuza. But now this story uh, talks to the fact that maybe... This is part of the plot uh, to weaken Cyril Ramaphosa is by removing David Mabuza. And, of course, there was a build-up to the time ahead of that conference where it was thought that Mabuza was going to come down on the other side, so to speak. So maybe uh, there's a question of uh, a feeling of betrayal. So you'll have to read the story to find out exactly what is behind that. None of the newspapers really well, some of them are, are ignoring the fact that the Springboks picked up a great victory against the All Blacks yesterday. On the front of the City Press, there is uh, their headline is, Take That! And it's got a fantastic picture of Cheslin Colby celebrating after scoring a try. Now, the Sunday Times, ace in a hole. (laughs) <laughs> well, it hasn't been a good week for him, but he continues to sort of live a charmed life and uh, seem unaffected by the fact that he's been linked, A, to that plot, and B, he was uh, put in his place yesterday when the ANC, in response, he had to eat humble pie over saying that the ANC was going to protect SABC employees. Yes, that's us here, um, because that obviously went against the... The practices, in fact, which were announced early in the week, for government, and of course, the SABC is not a government institution, but it is uh, one of the quasi-governmental governmental uh, governmental institutions, um, and of course, is in a big financial hole to hold on to its. Staff members at the bottom. This is an interesting one. Uh, my money catches DA offside, wants to succeed. Helen talks to the fact that uh, Musi my money has nominated himself as the Western Cape premier. The other one, uh, which I'm particularly interested in, is the big story, which says Zuma pressure. Paid Claudi's bill that talks to the legal bill that Claudi Motsuneng incurred as a result of his uh, disciplinary process and the legal bills related to the SABC eight and. How those were paid, and uh, the suggestion is from the story that there 's a link between where that money came to pay that bill and the former president, other things to look out for loud and proud the meaning of this of serena insight aboard the gravy plane minister 's wives lap up the high life in uh, rapport well yeah, hardly surprising, given the report the whole front page is about the spring box fat um, the same picture of um, Chesling Colby, but draws attention to the fact that Peter Steff de Toy drew was one of the standout performers for the Springboks. And also their subhead suggests that there's hope for the World Cup in 2019. And Sunday World, there's a, a very delicious p- picture, as you would come to expect. Uh, Malema sues ANC Youth League, an interesting one, because they say um, he's been linked to... Um, well, he's claiming defamatory statements were made against him. You'll read that to find out. And Sunday Sun, uh, Theo gets sexy. Nyazi, singer's marriage uh, runs out of love potion. Uh, talking to, well, things going wrong on the domestic front. It also uh, leads you to a story on page five Ladysmith Blackman Barza founder not well. Uh, talking to founder member Joseph Shabalala and his health issues. 24 minutes to seven.
1: Hi, I'm Kumi Naidu, the Secretary-General of Amnesty International, and you're listening to SAFM.
4: SAFM
0: And it's now time for another edition of Unedited. We start the week with ANC Secretary-General Ace Mahashuli, who we've been speaking about. Ravishing reports that there are plans by some party officials to remove President Sil Ramaphosa from office. The Sunday Times newspaper reported that Mahashule attended a secret meeting at a hotel in Durban with former President Jacob Zuma, former Northwest Premier Supra Muhammad Pelo, ANC Women's League Secretary-General Le... Mweho Matuba, and KZN ANC Youth League Secretary Tandu Olo Sabelo plotting to oust the president. Earlier, I spoke to Ranjani Manasamy, the associate editor at Tisa Blackstar, about her top stories of the week and the week ahead.
5: Uh, well, Stephen, there are several uh, major stories this week. The one was uh, the fallout from uh, The Sunday Times' uh, lead story last week, which was uh, the meeting that was uh, held in Durban at a Durban hotel. Uh, between the N.C. Secretary-General Ismail Hashule and um, former President uh, Jacob Zuma, w- and which the former Premier of the Northwest, Supra Mohamed Pelo, also attended. And you saw this spectacular denial from the N.C. in the early part of the week, and then later in the week, a confirmation by the N.C. Secretary-General that he did, in fact, meet the, the former president. And I think that, uh, you know, our, our story basically reflected that... Uh, that there is some unhappiness amongst um, people in NC branches with the outcome of the the NC's National Conference, and that there could be some sort of plot to unseat President Cyril Ramaphosa. I think the ha- NC's handling of this matter was quite interesting to observe in terms of how they first denied it and then um, confirmed parts of the story, um, but there is still a denial that um, that there's a plot against the president. But I think it is reflective of the turmoil currently within the NC and why there is so much um political instability in the organisation and the inability to kind of move forward in in difficult political, social, and economic time, uh, times. So I think that was um, one of the the major stories of the week. The second was um, the State Capture Commission of Inquiry. Um, and uh, we saw there early in the week that um, an official from the Treasury gave evidence to Judge Raymond Rondo, um, which basically detailed the payments from uh, the government communication and information system to the New Age and um, Infinity Media, which was the holders of NN7. Um, And you saw these um, exorbitant amounts of money being paid uh, to the Gupta-owned media companies. And we also saw that the payments listed from uh, provincial governments, and from there we were able to see that the free state government paid the largest amount of money, 79 million rand, to the Gupta media companies. And I think that we are getting a clearer picture of how state capture was executed Um, in real terms, in terms of the the payments that were actually made to Gupta-owned companies. And then later in the week, we had um, Judge Raymond Zonda delivering a judgment on the application by the Gupta brothers and Dudizani Zuma to cross-examine witnesses that have already come before the commission. And basically, Judge Zonda decided to dismiss the Gupta application because they were not prepared to physically appear before him, uh, they offered to testify via video link, and he, he was concerned that he would have no jurisdiction uh, over the Guptas because they were outside the borders of South Africa. So if they misled him, if they gave him false evidence, he, there was nothing he could do about it. But also he said that by allowing them to do this, he was he was creating two types of witnesses. You know, witnesses were, were able to, to subject themselves to the rules of the commission, and then the Gupta brothers were, were not willing to do that because they claimed... That they would be arrested if they came back to South Africa, and he says that that this was not a, a lawful reason. But what he did do, Stephen, was um, was allowed the designer's leave to cross examine the former deputy finance minister Khadijeh Jonas on his um, testimony that the designer took him to the uh, Gupta compound where he was offered a 600 million rand bribe and the position of Finance Ministry. So I think there's some certainty now with the commission going forward with Duduzani Zuma will be compelled to testify. He has offered to testify, and that is why he's been granted leave. And the Guptas are definitely not coming back to South Africa, definitely not of their own accord. And then, Stephen, I think the third major story of the week was the crime stats. And I think that was a rather... Uh, concerning picture because of the increase in the murder rate, and that we now know that um, there's 1,320 more people being killed per day in South Africa. And uh, you saw the police minister, Bedi Frele, put his head on the block and the, the heads of his senior management on the block to say that this was unacceptable and that they aim to improve Um, the security situation in the country,
0: certainly by next year. Let's talk about, I mean, the first two stories do have this huge link, of course, in that they involve the former president and what took place during his presidency. Your sense from the interaction you've had on the way you covered those stories as to, you know, what South Africans are thinking about this?
5: Well, I think that, um, you know, at the get-go, Uh, Many South Africans were concerned about the length of this inquiry and um, the amount of money that is being spent on it. But I think that we are already beginning to see the value of it, because the one thing that's happened or not happened over the past few years, Stephen, is that there has not been any form of accountability for um, what, what happened, what occurred during the Guma administration. And we're now seeing that you know that there there have been these bizarre incidents, uh, incidents that that are reflective of endemic corruption um, that took place, um, and that there was no process of um, of holding people to account or airing it. And we've seen several witnesses come forward, um, uh, and the first of which was Ms. Jonas, and I think that his evidence in particular was of such a stunning nature, um, which included a death threat from uh, Ajay Gupta. Um, and I think that, that has brought home the seriousness of what happened and the seriousness of state capture. What's going to be happening now? I mean, see, we've had some idea also, you know, in, in terms of the payments of money that we saw, for example, from GCIS and the, and the provincial government. We have some idea about the, the money transfers, but there's a lot, lot more to come. Uh, in that regard, in terms of how money was moved um, from um, from the state um, into various Gupta accounts uh, via front companies, and I think that would be interesting to observe. So I think there's a long journey ahead for this commission, and uh, you know, hopefully, it will, it will be able to fill in the blanks and fill in the puzzle pieces of this enormous uh, criminal syndicate. Uh, but I think another d- interesting development, Stephen, was that, you know, on Wednesday, the former president was speaking at Walter Sisulu University, and he made this uh, uh, rather um, strange declaration, unprovoked, that there is no such thing as state capture in South Africa, and that he said that because there are three arms of the state, and you could not say conclusively that all three arms uh, are captured, and therefore does, it means that state capture does not exist. Now, just because, you know, everything was not kept, the judiciary was not captured. In fact, the judiciary stood up and resisted parts of his administration, parts of the actions of his administration. Um, so, that you know, he, it, 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 it's really bizarre that he's using that, you know, the, the fact that the judiciary fought back to prove now that the, that the, uh, that state capture didn't exist. But... There was a rather interesting development the day after he said that, because Judge Raymond Zonda then decided that although the former president had said via his lawyers that he doesn't want to cross-examine any any of the witnesses because he didn't believe they indicated him, the judge decided that he, in fact, wants to hear from the former president, so he's invited him to respond to the allegations made against him by former NCMP Faye Kimenso and uh, government spokesman Tema Maseko. So he's asked um, uh, former President Zuma to to respond to the alle- those allegations, which basically tie him to the Guptas, Um But he and he wants it in affidavit form. So you see, you saw the the former president's lawyers are rather perturbed with this development, and you know they they're perceiving it as an attack. But what it does is it draws him in to the commission, it locks him in, and it forces him to answer questions that he has not been prepared to answer all this while.
0: And of course, the interesting thing he has been quite happy to defend himself uh, in public platforms, but when he gets uh, painted into a corner like this, uh, generally does lawyer up. Clearly, this is one of the stories that is going to be followed in the the coming week. And in fact, in the weeks after that, as I'm sure the plot, because if there was a plot, I'm sure plenty of investigative journalists and all newsrooms are going to have people with their ears to the ground.
5: Oh, absolutely, Stephen. And you're seeing that some members of the NEC are actually pushing for an internal investigation as to what, what exactly was the nature of this meeting. Because it seems that none of the other top five leaders of the N C were aware that the Secretary General had traveled to Durban to meet with the former president, and they certainly don't know what the nature of the meeting was. Um, and he's claiming that it's ANC business, but it's strange that it would be ANC business that nobody else knows about. So you've had people like Jackson and, and Zizi Quadra, uh, who are members of the NEC saying that we need to find out what happened. So I think that the next meeting of the National Executive Committee suddenly is going to be an interesting one, um, and it's going to force Esma um, to, to to explain himself. But yes, on the State Capture Commission as well, there's going to be very interesting developments. On Monday, the banks, uh, the four, South Africa's top four banks are appearing before the commission to basically explain why they closed the Gupta accounts. Now, you remember that early 2016, the Guptas, you know, had, had tried every means possible to to pressurize the banks to reopen their accounts, And but we never really heard from the banks as to why the accounts were closed. You know, there was suspicion of money laundering, but... We never really knew. I mean, it's an unprecedented step for all four banks to take the step to close all the accounts of the, uh, of the Gupta family members and the companies. So they will be appearing before the commission this week, and I think that for the first time we'll get some idea of what exactly the Guptas were doing.
0: Ranjani Manasamy, Associate Editor, Tisa Blackstar, uh, speaking to us about her top stories of the week. And uh, now we're joined by Mahlatsi, Mahlatsi, who's the political editor at News24. And, of course, as I was discussing with uh, Ranjani, clearly plenty of life in uh, these stories, which has been reflected in uh, the newspapers and, uh, in fact, the content you have on News24 today. But uh, good morning to you, Mahlatsi. For you, the big stories this week?
6: Uh, good morning. Um the big stories uh the obviously have seen uh the the aftermath of that Sunday Times uh, story that was talking about a meeting that um was held by the ANC leaders uh and who were plotting to oust the president's robot I mean obviously You saw how the ANC reacted to that story, but also later admitting that the meeting uh, did happen. The uh, the Secretary General of the party admitting that the meeting did happen, even though he has different interpretations of what uh, the agenda was about. But the meeting obviously happened at a time when we had all been reporting about uh, a push within the ANC to try and have an AUNTC, a National General Council, which would have some powers to, uh, remove the sitting president, speech into the divisions that are still within, uh, the party. And of course, the decisions by, um Deputy Justice, uh, at the State Commission that, um, those that, uh, that uh, allowing for cross-examination and asking for President Jacobs to much also give his side of the story.
0: Yeah, and of course, interesting that this then moves on because there are many ways to get what you want and now we understand that a way to, to help, you know, move things along from that point of view, of course, is through David Mabuza. In terms of? In terms of uh, the way this so-called, the the plot within the the ANC to, you know, if there is one on the one hand, to to remove the uh, Ramaphosa and, you know, and perhaps chip away at this support uh, through Didi Mabuza.
6: David Albuza remains a very central figure within the ANC. Remember, it was uh, him uh, that uh, led that so-called unity uh, slate at the Nasrec conference. And at the end, it's what we saw uh, in terms of the outcome of the elective conference, where you had a mixed bag. Uh, in terms of the different slates that were contesting there at that conference. And we understand that he remains that powerful, that there are those within, uh, uh, the camp that supported, um, for the presidency that are still very bitter, that at the end, uh, the Mpumalanga votes were split, leading to her loss and, um, him making it as deputy president, but some of the candidates that they were supporting on the slates not making it, but, of course, key of them being got to So he remains quite a powerful force within because of what he says. He still has some power also in Bumalanga. We must also remember that, you know, power within the ANC still remains in the provinces, and some of the leaders, though they are at national level, Uh, A lot of them still have control over the provinces with their people that are very close to them elected to replace them. And that is the case in Pumalanga. That is the case uh, in the free state. Uh, But also with some of the provincial uh, conferences that we have seen... We've seen both states emerge at uh, the elective conferences. So we're not quite sure if, if we were to go for an NGC what that outcome might be. But the most critical one right now is the National Executive Committee. And if you look at recent decisions, like uh, the decision to oust uh, or to disband the provincial executive committee in Northwest, gives you an, an idea that you know Ramaphosa still has sway within uh, that NEC. We know that it was always uh, you know very fairly balanced between the different slates, but over time we've seen or we've gotten the impression that the Ramaphosa camp has actually. Uh, achieve some power within that NEC, which would be the one that would have power to decide on the future of the party.
0: Well, uh, the other thing which, of course, comes up is that there seems to be, I don't know if there's confusion or there's uh, push and pull within what's going on at the NEC level, but of course, in the same week that uh, the finance minister has said You know, the government itself has to trim fat and try and lower the wage bill. We also have had uh, the story of the SABC, which everyone knows is in dire financial straits. And them having to say, we have to do something about our wage bill as well. Then Eishmacher who, of course, a senior figure in the ANC, stands up and says the ANC won't allow this to happen. But a few hours later, he has to go back and say, well, I may have got that wrong.
6: I think it was quite important for the SADC to release a statement to assert its independence and to actually uh, make sure that it says to the ANC that, you know, you are not in charge of us. That was quite important, especially given where we come from was uh, in recent times where, uh, you know, there were people within the FABC that were quite close to the governing party. So I think it was important, quite important uh, in that regard and also You know, for politicians tend to say things uh, that are not well thought out. They are not inside uh, an institution like the SAE. AND THEY DON'T UNDERSTAND WHATEVER THE CHALLENGES THAT ARE BEING FACED AT THE ANC. TO SAY WE WILL NOT ALLOW IT WHEN you ARE NOT uh, PREVIOUS TO THE SITUATION IS is ACTUALLY JUST politi- politi- uh, just POLITICIANS BEING POLITICIANS. BUT I THINK IT IS QUITE SAD WHAT IS HAPPENING AT THE AND IT IS AN AFTERMATH OF THE MISMANAGEMENT THAT WE SAW IN THE PAST FOUR YEARS. Um, YOU KNOW, FOR A VERY LONG TIME, uh, THERE WERE WARNING SIGNS OF uh, the wage bill that uh, was just kept on increasing, and when we don't have revenue coming in, it's very difficult to sustain it. But I think also, as far as we have been talking about it within our organization, I and mean, you know, our main concern obviously is that the agency needs to be able to deliver uh, on its mandate, especially uh, within the news division, and it is important that. Um, even as the SADC goes on that process of cutting off staff, news uh, continues to implement what is expected of them. I mean, we've seen quite worrying signs, for example, in SAFM, where we've cut current affairs for, uh, in, in favour of talk. And we know that we are going towards a very important election next year. So, whatever decisions that the SADC makes, they have to ensure that it will still be able to deliver on uh, news gathering and actually providing uh, balanced, fair, and critical news, especially as we head uh, for that election. So, we're hoping that the news division will be protected. But I think also speaking to employees within the within uh, the the lack of or the inability of it, SEC to come out clearly and explain what the process is has bucked panic among staff, and that obviously is not good for morale. So, we're hoping that the process will be explained as soon as possible and it will be a fair one, but more importantly, we hope that it will not affect its mandate to deliver.
0: Well, in terms of that mandate, and of course, you have uh, insight because you were here for so long. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> in th- 30 seconds, what does the SABC and the newsroom need to do to, to to get back to a position where it's delivering things efficiently? Because my sense is on the inside that perhaps we aren't as efficient as we could be.
6: Look, I think it's it's going to be a process. There is obviously places perhaps where there could be redistribution of skill. Um, that 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 that's always going to happen as an institution. We have to look at what is happening. Uh, worldwide, what is happening nationally, so that you keep your uh, news offering fresh, competitive, and you have a team of uh, motivated workers. Obviously, a uh, talk over Section 189 is going to affect morale in the coming days, but I think the important thing is to ensure that you have an energised team that understands its role, and it's important role in South Africa of delivering the news. I and mean, then there's no other platform as big as the FADC, There are people who still only rely on the FADC for their news gathering. And I think to re-energize uh, the newsroom, that would be uh, number one for me.
0: Much like to see who's political editor at News 24. All the very best, of course, in your, your new uh, appointment as the Eyewitness News uh, Group editor in chief. You're back in radio. I think that's probably where you're, you, you, maybe you've d- discovered that that's where you're happiest. So welcome back to that. And thank you very much for speaking to us on a Sunday. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, excellent stuff there. Uh, we'll leave it there as far as unedited is concerned, because we want to get through some of your comments on black consciousness uh, in Facebook. Josi uh, Makatuka says, what is missing is African consciousness. We, uh, Who are we as indigenous uh, Africans? Um, this one. Doesn't oh Bibi Mia says uh, Jumbo Africa, uh, Sunday, sweet 16 September. Happy people around as the mighty Amakosi and the Buccaneers record big wins. Uh, yes, happy in South to the box beat the All Blacks. Congrats, Captain Khaleesi and team moving South Africa forward. Have a super duper splendiferous Sunday. Long weekend ahead. Bri, the beloved country. I've forgotten about the long weekend. R says uh, on SMSs. SA have a black majority. How ready is majority to strive for excellence? Use best practice regardless, not pull all down because of black anger. This one, unsigned, on says absolute decoloniality is unachievable as long as we communicate in the colonial language. Uh, William Christiana says black consciousness used to be relevant during apartheid, but now when we have to strive for social cohesion, black and uh, white. Harold Presley, hi Stephen. America, like South Africa, is also racially divided today with a lot of racial hate coming from the whites, especially in the southern states. Interesting, saw something about Boston. Being a place where Black people in America feel the most uncomfortable, uh, Mageb and Pretorius says. Interesting how we continue to perpetuate the image of whites as essentially perfect and always superior to blacks. Georgian Springs, the ANC in recent years has been very successful in creating an adversarial relationship between the races. Admittedly, with the dim-witted assistance of some racist whites playing into their hands. Fortunately, we'll leave it there. Our team today Maruma Kekane, Bontle Motswatswe, technical producer Mark Prellis, senior producers Evelyn Tongwana and Talitsi Chivasi, executive producers Aubrey Sichia and Krivani Pillay. This has been Stephen Kirk filling in on the program for Elvis Presley. And he will be back on SAFM Weekend View next week, 6 a.m. Saturday and Sunday. We'll leave it there. It's time now for the news with Jolani Tulo.